Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach. I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from a very special guest, really needs no introduction, Coach Tony Dungy, Pro Football Hall of Fame coach, coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, Indianapolis Colts. Um, but just more than that, just when I think of humility, um, there's very few people in life that really, I think, come to mind. And Tony Dungy is one that um, lives out humility. And so I cannot wait for you to hear from Coach Dungy. I would encourage you before we jump into it, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen. There's so much in this. Um, so without further delay, let's jump right into it. Thanks for joining me today, Coach Dungy. Well, Stuart, it is a pleasure and an honor to be with you. That's awesome. Likewise, I'm going to start this off. Um, I know a lot of people are probably familiar with your sports background. I want to hit a couple of highlights. And I'll ask you to kind of walk through some of leading up to that. But, you know, you played, you know, college football at Minnesota. And we'll talk about played, you know, in the NFL, coached a lot in the NFL, a amazing record of 148 and 79, 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, a successful author and speaker, just some highlights. But I wanted to ask you if you would talk about a little bit about your background growing up, where you grew up, a little bit about your family growing up, and then um, tie your faith journey into that. Yeah, I grew up in a little, little small town in, in Mexico, Michigan. It was automotive town, uh, 50,000 people. But my dad and mom were both teachers. And they love sports. My mom was a really good basketball player uh, in her time. My dad was a Golden Gloves boxer and loved cross country and individual sports. So I grew up in this small town, kind of rooted for University of Michigan and Michigan State and Detroit teams and uh, having fun that way. And I love sports. Um, my dad, that I have memories of my dad when I was really Detroit Tiger games and Lions games and just uh, – been around sports all the time and he taught me how to catch a baseball and hit a baseball when I was four or five years old and then I was always playing with the bigger kids and just really ended up loving sports and uh my grandfather my dad's dad was a minister two of his brothers were ministers and my mom taught the Sunday school class so I grew up knowing the gospel knowing about Jesus and that was really a, a benefit to me I accepted Christ when I was a little kid, but like so many boys, as I got to middle school, uh, I, I started to get driven by sports. And so I just wanted to play and, and play all the time. Both my parents were teachers, so I had to get good grades. But that was kind of my life from middle school through my college career, doing well in school, being on time with my classes, playing, getting better as an athlete. And uh, that's what I was driven by. And when I was in college, especially, uh, the spiritual side kind of took a back seat. You get there and you've got classes, you've got off-season workouts and things that I wasn't familiar with in high school. And uh, nobody's there pushing you. Your parents aren't saying, get up and go to church, that kind of thing. So I kind of stagnated as, as a uh, Christian growing. And uh, I was a quarterback at the University of Minnesota. I thought I was going to be an NFL quarterback, and I didn't get drafted. And that was really a, just a major disappointment, probably the first negative that had happened to me in sports in a long, long time. So I remember after the draft, it was this time of year in April, and just walking around the campus and, and for the first time in a long time having a conversation with the Lord and saying, 
God, I, I don't understand this. I've done everything I'm supposed to. I've, I've worked hard. I've kept my nose clean. And now I don't get drafted. What, what's going on? And I was really, really disappointed. And the next day, uh, a guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers called me. And he said, we want you to come. They had Terry Bradshaw at the time. So we don't need a quarterback. But Coach Noel thinks you can change positions and, and maybe make our team. So I went and I got switched to safety. And two major things happened to me then. And it was just the Lord all the way looking back on it. But uh, the first meeting we had, Coach Noel uh, opened it up and he said, welcome to the National Football League. You're getting paid to play football now. That means it's your profession. But whatever you do, don't make football your life. If you make football your whole life, you're going to leave the game disappointed. And I was like writing this down saying, wow, I don't believe this. This guy's won all these Super Bowls and he's telling us don't make football your life. Then he moves me into my roommate, a guy named Donnie Shell. Donnie was a safety there, fourth year when I got there. I'd watched him play on TV, and he was the most on-fire Christian athlete I'd ever been around at the time. And so I'm moving my stuff in the dorm room, and he's asking me, hey, what are you reading? What's going on in your Bible? What's happening? You got to come to Bible study. Uh, we've got chapel services. We've got all this. You've got to be involved. And he walked me through it, and I saw not only him, but about 15 of my teammates now, just exceptional Christian men, the way they lived, how they dealt with their families, everything. So it was just a perfect atmosphere for me to not only learn National Football League, but learn how to grow as a Christian. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, how, did, how do – um, professional athletes stay connected to the church because of the time. I mean, I tell you what we had, uh, and it's, it's gotten to be the same way, but we had a great chapel program there. We had a chaplain by the name of Hollis half. He had couples Bible study, he had individual Bible studies. We always had a chapel service before the game. And we had just so many strong guys that I can remember in the dorm room at night uh, after practice, after all the meetings, Guys would have just individual Bible study sessions. We'd have five or six guys in, in a, a dorm room looking at material. And um, you don't hear that side about it very much. The media doesn't like to talk about that. If a guy has a DUI or some kind of domestic problem, we're always going to broadcast that. But we don't hear that, that side of it very often. But there is a strong, strong group of Christian athletes. And that's really how I, I grew and uh, really started growing as a Christian at 21 years old. Is there a, I mean, you mentioned your, your roommates. Is there a, an athlete or a coach that you think of in your career that just really, you saw God really use them to, to speak to your life? Well, we had a number of guys who uh, spoke to me. As I said, my teammates, uh, Donnie Shell, John Stallworth, mm -hmm. uh, John Cole, Larry Brown. These guys were Mel Blunt some fantastic uh, players, all pros, Hall of Fame guys, but they were very, very strong Christians. And then uh, there was a conference um, off-season. It's called PAO, Professional mm -hmm. Athletes Outreach. And uh, Donnie invited me to go, and there were guys from all over the NFL, and I, I was just shocked to meet Steve Largent and Jackie Slater and, and guys who I'd competed against didn't really know them as people didn't know how strong Christians they were and they that had an impact on me and uh, that's when I started to grow and um, 
from then on, I, I just wanted to really serve the Lord and, and whatever I was doing, I ended up getting traded. I left the Steelers. I uh, got traded to the San Francisco 49ers. And now after two years, I was kind of thinking, God's showing me, he's put all these people in my life. He's kind of groomed me. But now he's saying, okay, I need you to go out and see what you can do on your own. Are you going to be a light to other people or, or what, where are you exactly going to be in all this? Uh, and that was the first time I had to kind of step out on my own and demonstrate my faith uh, when I wasn't around this crowd of guys that, that I knew really well. Uh, and that got me going. And, and then I played for the 49ers for a year. And then I came back to the Steelers coaching staff. Now I had a different group of, of friends. I still had my, my buddies who were still playing, but now I was in the front office, so to speak. And I was on the other side of the building and I had to, you know, let my face show there as well. And at what point, I mean, uh, did, did you, I mean, you saw the, the dream, if you will, of playing in the NFL. You, you see that fading away, but you quickly uh, jumped into coaching. So when did you feel that, um, we use the word callings, I believe, Coaches are called. When, when did yeah. you feel that calling in, 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 into coaching? People don't uh, believe this now, but when I was playing, we actually, I made $20,000 my first year playing Ooh. in the National Football League. I kind of felt bad about that, but Donnie Shell told me he made 14000 his first year. So that's, that's how it was. It wasn't all these million-dollar contracts and things. So a lot of us, we had off-season jobs. And I worked uh, for Mellon Bank one offseason. I worked for Heinz. I worked for uh, Dayton Hudson, which is now Target. Um, I was trying to find out what I wanted to do. And my, my dream was I was going to play 10 or 12 years, and then I'd start my own business and you know use this money that I made in the National Football League to invest in a business. And that's how I thought it was going to go. Well, God had different plans. And uh, at, at 24 years old, I had been traded twice cut once and was out of the league and, and basically my career was over at 24 um i had a super bowl ring but that was about it and i didn't know what i was going to do because none of those jobs really you know i, I, I never said oh that's it that's mm -hmm. what i want to do well one day coach noel called me and he said you know what you picked up the defense really quick you're a good communicator you know the offensive side of the ball from playing quarterback I think you'd have a future as a coach. I was 25 years old, and uh, here I'm coaching in the NFL. And the first day I went to work, and he gave me a couple of projects, and I was working on them, and I went home, and I said, man, I, I can't wait to get back to work tomorrow. And that's when I really knew that I wanted to be a coach. Uh, but then it took me a little while to understand that God had put me in that profession, but not just to coach, but to, to help people grow and that I could be as effective as the chaplain. I could be as effective as a, a minister in a lot of ways because I had this group of eight or 10 guys who I was with every single day from July 30th until January. And they were listening to me and they were watching me and my life could have an impact on them. And I started thinking about my coaches that I'd had, my high school coach, my position coach, my college coach, Coach Noel, the way they impacted me. And I said, you know what? God has put me in a unique position. I need to use this the right way. That's right. That's right. I want to ask you um, another angle on, on breaking into coaching, too, because um, you got into coaching at a time when it's very difficult for an African-American 
to get in NFL coaching. Um, and so talk about kind of breaking into that NFL coaching ranks as an African-American. Also, just talk about, um, you know, even how it is today, how you see it today. Yeah, I, uh, I talked about that a little bit in my Hall of Fame speech. Uh, when I came to the National Football League in 1977, there were 28 teams in the NFL. There were only 10 African-American coaches in the entire league. So 10 teams had one African-American coach. 18 teams had zero. And that was kind of the landscape at the time. So I never, you know, sat there and said, gosh, my dream is to be a coach. There just weren't the role models. Uh, and, and I never saw that. And so I don't know that I would have chosen that as a profession if Coach Noel hadn't called me. But then once I got started, uh, I, I just felt like, gosh, this, this is something I can do, something I really enjoy and we can have more young players and more guys come into it. And I think that's what happened. Uh, Ex-players started getting hired. Uh, guys started moving up the ladder a little bit. And more and more assistant coaches came into the league. Now, for about 15 years, then it became, well, what's the next step? We've, we've got these assistant coaches. We've got uh, position coaches. But there were very, very few coordinators. There were still no uh, minority head coaches. And that became kind of the, the sticking point. I remember uh, as I started to get mentioned and get interviews and I'd go for a job interview and not get the job. And I'd come back and think, well, what can I do a little bit better? And how can I make myself better? And then you would have people saying, well, wh what's wrong with the NFL? How come we can't have minority head coaches? And it became a sticking point for a while. And then finally in the, in the 90s, it kind of, we had a breakthrough. And, and when I got hired, I felt like that was one of the reasons why the Lord allowed that for me, that, mm -hmm. that I was able to help that next generation of guys. So I wanted to make sure I hired some young quality coaches. And I was able to hire Mike Tomlin and Herm Edwards and Leslie Frazier and Jim Caldwell and guys who have now gone on and, to go to Super Bowls. So it was really, uh, I think, a good feeling for me. But I also wanted to hire quality people. And I wanted to hire people who would uh, put the Lord first. And uh, those guys all did that. Lovey Smith, you know, and, and it was just uh, the right time. And I, I felt like that was part of my calling to not only bring African-American coaches into the NFL, but bring Christian coaches in. That's good. You know, you, a lot of people, you talk about uh, coaching trees, the Bill Walsh coaching tree, uh, Bill Belichick. And, you know, you look at the Tony Dungy coaching tree. And the first thing I do, I think about that. I'm not saying it just because we're talking. It's something I've had conversation after conversation with people. First thing that comes to my mind is believer. Yeah. You know, the guys yeah. that, you know, you hired truly um, had that strong faith and, you know, were Christ followers and still and still living it. And I, I think that's, yeah, a, that's an incredible so legacy. And what, what I feel good about is that I know how Mike Tomlin's running the Steelers, and I know how uh, Leslie Frazier ran the Minnesota Vikings, what he's doing with the defense there. And I know how Jim Caldwell ran the, the Detroit Lions and the Colts. Um, they, they were going to put Christ first, and mm -hmm. that uh, that's a thrill to see those guys have success. And we could probably talk hours and hours about – your, your, your coaching career. I want to ask one. It's, it's a, not a faith question. It's just sports. What is it like 
Um, you're coaching the Colts, um, and you have a quarterback like Peyton Manning. What is it like coaching a guy like Peyton Manning? I'll tell you what, coaching Peyton was unique. Uh, it, it was <laughs> tremendous in a lot of ways. When your best player is one of your hardest workers, when he's going to do everything exactly the way you want it, when he's going to set the tone, uh, and he's going to make sure everybody is at that level. It makes it so easy to coach. And um, everybody could look at him and say that that's the way we want it done. So that part was tremendous. The, the challenge was that he wanted everything to be perfect. And he had, you know, suggestions and how, how come we can't do this? Can we put these plays in? Can we do this? And you'd have to rein him in sometime. But uh, I, I tell you, that was really worth it because of the, just the high level of, of excellence that he was going to set for everyone else. Um, but he, he would, uh, he'd come in. One, one of the things I loved about him, about a week after the season would be over, every year, he'd come into my office. He'd have this yellow legal pad with about seven pages of things that he wanted to work on. Here's what I didn't do this well enough. I want to work on throwing to my left a little bit better. I want to work on uh, throwing out of the pocket more. I want to work on my agility. I want to work on how I can be a better leader during the week. And uh, he would work on those. And, and it just lets you know, well, I need to be like that. I need to make sure that we're all working on our, our weaknesses and we just continue to get better. But it was a real joy coaching him for seven years, no doubt. That's awesome. I love that um, somebody of that um, high caliber of an athlete taking it that serious to, to look at, um, I haven't arrived. You know, I need to work on this, this and this. And to me, it's a reminder of, you know, as a follower of Christ that we haven't arrived and that importance of staying in the word, staying in tune with our relationship with Christ and um, surrounding ourselves with like minded. And it will only elevate all of us. I mean, that's what I think of as you're talking. Amen. So um, you mentioned a Hall of Fame speech. I got to ask you what I mean. I know when you got into coaching, um, that was probably was not at the forefront of your mind. So what was it like getting that call that uh, <laughs> Coach Dungy, you've been inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame? It, it was really, really amazing. And as you say, it's not something you even plan, you, you don't even think about. But uh, five years uh, after you retire, you become eligible. And I got the call that first year, hey, you've been nominated, you're in the semifinals, you're in the top 15. And I never thought it, it would happen. And so I, I wasn't even really thinking about it too much. But they invite you to the Super Bowl. You go to all the events. And then uh, they do the voting on the Saturday before the Super Bowl. And they tell you to be in your hotel room at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. If you don't make it, they'll give you a call and tell you what to do next. If you do make it, they're going to knock on your door and come get you. So the first year I get the phone call, hey, it's a great honor. Didn't quite make it this year, but keep your head up. Second year, the same thing happens. And now by my third year, I'm thinking it's not going to happen, but it's nice to be considered. I had a son who was 11 at the time, and he was saying, Dad, I just know this is going to be your year. I know this is going to be your year. I need to go with you. I need to go with you and Mom because I want to be there when you get the the, uh, word. And so I said, Justin, it's not going to happen, but you can come. So we go and we enjoy the Super Bowl out in San Francisco. And it happens to be Peyton's Super Bowl, uh, his last game uh, for, for Denver. And we're sitting there in the hotel. And usually they tell you 4 o'clock, be there. 
four o'clock comes and something happens. Well, now it's four o'clock and nothing has happened. No call, nothing. I'm just waiting and waiting. And then finally they knock on your door and it's David Baker from the Hall of Fame. And my wife just, you know, goes crazy and Justin's crying. He said, I knew dad, I knew this was your year. And it was really, really incredible to know that I had gone in. I just had to look back at, at God on that, that I'd gone from a person who didn't even get drafted, uh, who really probably had very little chance of even making it to the NFL to going to the right team, to getting introduced to coach Noel, to starting my coaching career, all of those things that one left turn could have put me someplace else, but just to realize that was God's plan. And uh, it ended up with a, a hall of fame coaching career, just nothing you could have planned. That's right. Only God. Let me ask Only you, you mentioned your wife and, uh, and your youngest son. This is something I, I don't even know if I mentioned this in the outline. I don't think I did, but I, I wanted to ask you, as a coach, the demands, how did you balance that with being a husband and a dad? I mean, because husband yeah. and dad's priority. So how does that balance work? Uh, coaching is tough, as you know. It's a tough profession. A lot of hours you end up with 50 other kids <laughs> that you're, you're helping out just as much as your family. But I was really blessed. Uh, I had two people who really showed me the right way to go. Coach Noel was the first one. Uh, I went there, and as I mentioned, he's, he you know, talked about not making football your whole life and being uh, a, a total person. And he lived that out for us. And family was important to him. We had uh, practice on Saturday was open. You were encouraged to bring your kids because he wanted the kids around. He thought that was a, a big part of how we should do things. So I, I came up, grew up with that and seeing a coach live that out and win Super Bowls. Well, then my next stop in coaching was with Marty Schottenheimer in Kansas City. And Marty was a perfectionist. He was on the details. And my the first uh, meeting during the, the season of my first year with him, I got home at 2 o'clock in the morning. And my wife said, where have you been? <laughs> I said, well, we just finished the meeting. And she couldn't believe it because I was coming home at 8.30, 9 o'clock with Coach Noel. But I, I lived that out for three years, and I learned from Marty about being on top of the details. But uh, then I was blessed to go to work for Denny Green in, in Minnesota, and Denny was um, different. He was like Coach Noel. Hey, we're going to be good, but we got to be efficient. I want you guys to be home. Uh, he let us bring the kids. He let me bring my boys to training camp and stay in the dorm with me. Um, he, he would let them come and visit us and uh, – Shoot, my oldest son, James, used to draw my cards uh, for, for practice. And I learned that you could win and you could be successful and you could still have a, a good family life. So working for those two guys was, was really a blessing. When I got to become the head coach and set the schedule, uh, I, I was sensitive to that. And I wanted my assistant coaches to have family time. And we put in family Saturday uh, in practice where everybody brought their kids and they felt like they were part of it. Um, we would have a wives trip every year uh, that, that we take the wives to an away game. I used to take my sons. They used to, we gave them, they thought they had jobs, but they would hold my cord on the sideline or they'd be ball boys so they could go on the trips. Uh, and I wanted to make it up to them, but I really had to, had to really let them know the times that I'm not there. It's not because I don't want to be there. I do have other things to do, but you're still very, very important in my life. And you mean a lot to me. And 
they they knew that they understood that and so that made up for some of the times when I couldn't be at their games or when I couldn't be at, at certain events or when I was gone uh, during training camp, when I was gone the whole week, they knew it wasn't because dad didn't want to be there. Um, and, and I think that's really, really important. Did you ever um, speak of your faith? Did you ever experience any resistance from an organization, coach, player? Believe it or not, I probably had more in the broadcasting business, more pushback than I did when I was coaching uh, I, for whatever reason. And, and I think it's for the organization that I work for in Pittsburgh. Mr. Rooney was super supportive of uh, anybody in their faith. Lamar Hunt with the Kansas City Chiefs the same way. I got the head job in Tampa. Malcolm Glazer was just phenomenal. Matter of fact, uh, when we got our new stadium, um, he uh, gave me a phone call and, hey, the first event we're having in our new stadium is a Billy Graham crusade. I know you'd be excited about that. Those are wow. the kind of um, people that I, I work for. And so you get a little pushback from the media, but nobody uh, that I ever you know, worked for gave me that pushback. Well, now when I got into TV and I started talking about my faith, then you get people that would call in and say, um, hey, you know, you can't talk about that on, on tv you shouldn't bring religion into it those, those kind of things uh, and i had to learn how to deal with that but uh, for the most part um i don't know if it's just a blessing or what but i was able to be who i am and share my faith and, and not have very much resistance that's awesome and i could see that you know with the media because they're a little more cognizant of of that um but i think a lot of it is if you live it then people don't resisted as much if you if it's only talk i think is when resistance comes that's when i what i really felt and i and i think most of the people that i was around really felt like my faith was sincere and that i wasn't preaching to people as you say you you live it out and people seem to respect that and accept that a little bit more i want to ask you now about um Probably six months ago on on social media, there was a lot of talk about um, as coaches, you have to cuss. You have to degrade players um, because that's that's just the way coaches act. And I think you were one, um, if I'm not mistaken, that spoke out and said, that's not true. Um, Coach No modeled it. I, I coached that way. So as a believer, as a follower of Christ, how did you as a coach or, you know, and, and how would you encourage other coaches to – to follow that same path because there is a fine line as a coach. You want to coach hard. You want to demand excellence, but there's that line of then it becomes degrading. Yeah, I, I absolutely think you can demand excellence without belittling people, without degrading people. And you don't have to use uh, language that's not becoming um, that that's it's unfortunate, but that's what we see. Uh, we see the highlight films now and that's what, catches everybody's attention. So we'll get this sound bite of a coach and it looks like, boy, he's really being demanding. And then all the hard knocks shows, hard knocks is always going to show uh, something that they feel is entertaining. So we get these teams uh, and these coaches and people think, gosh, that's the way you have to do it. But I played two years for Chuck Noll. I was around him eight years as an assistant coach. He wasn't like that. He won four Super Bowls. I played for Bill Walsh. He wasn't like that at all. He was the teacher. He was an encourager. He won three Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Joe Gibbs, Tom Landry. You could just go on and on with guys who w- would not do it that way. But they are also the type of coaches that aren't going to be seen on the camera. So right. we don't see that side of it. Uh, I true. remember I got uh, I was interviewing for a job, and uh, the the owner asked me, "Well, you don't use profanity. You don't use." I heard you don't raise the world. Are you going to get these guys to follow you? And I said, I'm going to do it just like my dad did with me. My dad, uh, I knew that he loved me. I knew that he had my best interests at heart. And I wanted to do things the way he wanted them because I respected him so much. And I think that's the way these players will, will do it. Eventually, we'll have that type of relationship where they will serve me. And the guy looked at me across the table and he said, I don't think that'll work in the NFL. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that job. But then two years later, I interviewed with Mr. Glazer and I told him my philosophy and he said, well, that's just how I raised my boys. That's how I want it. And he embraced that. Uh, when, when I got the, the job, my first meeting with the team, with the Buccaneers, I said, hey, there are people out there that tell me I can't reach you guys unless I swear at you and curse at you and yell at you. Is there anybody in this room that needs that to be an effective player? And nobody raised their hand. <laughs> so I said, okay, we understand each other now. I'm not going to do that. You, you say you don't need it. When I tell you I'm upset, you'll know. Uh, I'm not going to have to raise my voice. I'm not going to have to yell at you. You're not going to hear me use profanity. You'll know when I'm upset. You'll know when I'm happy. And that's the way I did it for 13 years. And I had some other coaches who followed me that were very successful and went to Super Bowls and did it the same way. So I can say unequivocally that you don't need to do that. Now, there's a thousand ways to be effective, and you have to be your own personality and that type of thing. You can be effective using profanity, but it's not necessary. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about it until you said it, the show Hard Knocks. I mean, I've tried to watch a little bit of that and Amazon has one too. And, um, you know, as a father, it's like, it'd be fun to sit down with my boys and watch a show like that so they can see the ins and outs. But at five minutes in, I'm having to hit stop yeah. because the language is it's ridiculous. But I can take this story. I was never asked to be on hard knocks. Jim Caldwell <laughs> was never asked to be on hard knocks. Mike Tomlin has never been asked to be on, on hard knocks because it's not entertaining. That's not what they That's want. Right. They don't want to show effective, efficient football they want entertainment and it's it's sad because we are giving people the wrong impression of of what it's like that's right yeah you're right it's all entertainment you're right um unfortunately so i want to transition a little bit to um you've also a successful author um a number of books but there's two that stand out to me i wanted to ask you about the first one um quiet strength um, because a lot of times you don't hear those two words together. Um, but I, I, and I'll be, I'll be quite honest. I mean, when I think of Tony Dungy, I, that's what I think of. So talk about the message behind that book. Yeah, it's very interesting. Nathan Whitaker, uh, co-wrote the book with me. Uh, we worked together for four years with the Buccaneers and he, for the whole time was trying to get me to write a book. And I said, no, Nathan, I'm not going to do it. So I end up getting fired and go to uh, Indianapolis. And he's still on me about writing a book. And when we finally win the Super Bowl, he said, well, now's the time. You have the audience. We can write this book. It'll be effective. I said, no, Nathan, I'm not going to be a guy who writes uh, 
you know, we win the Super Bowl. I'm going to tell you it like I'm a know-it-all. But then he said, you know, just what we're talking about, there are a lot of people who think to be effective uh, coach in professional sports or college sports, you've got to do it this way. You've got to work at the office all night. You've got to be uh, mean and, and aggressive. And you can tell people that that's not the case. And so I think about it that way. I said, okay, that, that makes sense. So we sat down to kind of write this book out and had an idea in our mind. Uh, we talked to Tyndale Publishers and, and a Christian company. We said, we, we don't want this message to get slanted. Now, we, we don't want it to be all about football. We want it to be about the Lord. So we put it together. Uh, Tyndale did a great job, and I think it sold like 1.5 or 1.6 million copies now. And it really just is a – it was supposed to be about my life, but telling people that you can be successful following God's plans, following biblical principles, and you can be successful in any field in life. So that was kind of the idea behind it. And uh, as much as Nathan had to bug me to do it, now I'm kind of glad we did because it, it's got a good message. Absolutely. And the second one, the one that I've read actually more than once, um, is Uncommon. So what's the central message behind that one? I was actually texting a friend of mine um, this week. He's a young, young high school coach here in Texas, and I think he said he's read that book six or seven times. Well, that one is actually my favorite book. After we did Quiet Strength, and I'm getting letters from uh, teachers and, and principals and people who are saying, you know what, I can't get my young boys to read, but they're, they read Quiet Strength, and thank you for writing it. Then uh, Nathan and I kind of thought, gosh, if, if young men are reading this, what would we want to say specifically to young men about life, about manhood, about growing up, about the Lord? And so that's what went into that. Okay, let's think of some principles and think if it was talking specifically to our teenage kids, what would we say to them? And that uh, that was the, the backbone behind Uncommon. And really just as how do you want to serve the Lord? How can you live in life and be in society, but kind of stand out for the Lord? And uh, so that was the, that was the gist of it. And, and it's probably my favorite book of all the ones we've done. That's very good. Um, and if anybody's listening that hasn't read those two, get them today. <laughs> I mean, they're both are very, very powerful. Well, thank you. Thank you, you bet. You bet. Um, I want to ask you too about an organization that you're a, I think a spokesman for all pro dads. Um, you know, there's a, a huge need for men to, to lead. So talk about um, what All Pro Dads is, for those that don't know. Yeah, it actually started out in uh, 1997. Uh, several of the guys on our coaching staff were kind of, were kicking around this thought, hey, we work so many hours, we're putting so much into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are we shortchanging our families? Are we, we're not doing as good a job as our dads did with us. How can we be better? Uh, there was a gentleman in town by the name of Mark Merrill who ran an organization called Family First, and he had some tips for men. So we went over, sat down with him, some good ideas, and we said, hey, we're going to put these together and uh, see if we can be better dads. Well, he told us, he said, you guys aren't alone. You aren't the only ones. Football coaches aren't the only men who feel like they don't have enough time at home. Could you kind of help us get this message out? And so we said, we'll have a day uh, that will invite men to bring their kids 
to a training camp practice. And we'll mm. talk about these things, you know, at the end of practice, but we'll just kind of have a day for guys to get together. Uh, at that time, we weren't very good with the Buccaneers. So we were getting about 100 people a day at our practices in the summer. We advertised for a couple of weeks, Dad, bring your kids out. We had some T-shirts and some giveaway stuff. We had 4,000 people come out to practice. And so we said, well, this, we've got something here. We can hook men into football. Guys want to hear about football. We can get their interest, but now we can give them some gospel message. We can give them some tips on being better dads. Uh, we recruited about six or seven guys to give us their favorite fathering tip. And it was guys like Mike Singletary, Anthony Munoz, uh, you know, pro all pro players. And we said, OK, here's Mike Singletary's all pro dad tip. Mm. And people got this email and they just, you know, they thought they were getting they were getting a message from Mike Singletary, but they thought it was, you know, a football related message. And he would say, my dad always said ABC. So we started sending those out and guys said how much they liked them. And so that's where the all pro dad kind of caught on. Then we took it to um, a daily email like that. Mm -hmm. And then once a month, getting together with other dads at school, just having breakfast with your kids. And now that has morphed into 48 states and about uh, 1,700 chapters around the country of guys uh, trying to be better dads. And it's been awesome. Wow. That's that's unbelievable. I, I get the daily email. I've actually got a T-shirt out. I got from them a number of years ago. It's got the 10 principles, Ten ways I think. To be, a better dad, right? be a better dad on the back. And on the front, it says, I love my wife. Yes. So, um, yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's just a, a powerful reminder every time I look at that shirt that, hey, if I'm going to, I got it more as an accountability piece because if I'm going to have this in my drawer, if I'm going to put it on, then I need to go through the back of that shirt before I yep. put it on and go, okay, absolutely. how am I doing? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think I already mentioned this. Um, a lot of our listeners and, and quite frankly, most of our guests are um, coaches at the smaller college high school level. So what advice would you offer them that are listening? Um, maybe one or two things that um, you would encourage them with from your experience, especially Knowing athletics, you know, we've talked a lot about the platform that God gave you. So how would you encourage them to use that platform to be bold with their faith? I would tell people, number one, God has you planted exactly where he, he wants you. And he's going to use you wherever you are. Um, and you can have a you will have a major impact no matter where you are. Um, my last couple of years coaching at the Combine. We'd always have the top 300 players in. You get to spend 10 minutes with each guy. You know, I'd ask them, uh, you know, gosh, if, if it wasn't your dad, who had the impact on you? And invariably, it was my high school coach, my junior high coach, my college position coach. I mean, it's a coach who that player said, you know, they had more impact on me than anybody I've been around. So uh, no matter where you are, um, God can use you. I'd also say that if you only think your job is to help people be better players, you're missing ha half of what you could do. And setting that example, helping them be better men, uh, is really, really so much more important. As I think back now, 
Uh, I can remember my first team meeting with the Buccaneers and saying, hey, we want to win a Super Bowl. That's why I'm here. But we've got to do more than that. We need you guys to be great role models, set the tone for the city of Tampa, make Tampa a better place to live. And invariably, I mean, I, I see guys today 25 years later, and it's, I remember that first talk, and I'm, uh, that's why I'm coaching in high school now, or I've got this going on, or uh, I do this. I work at the Boys and Girls Club uh, one day a week because I want to make Tampa a better place to live. And that is so much more important than, hey, you're going to make a million dollars being a, a pro bowl player or you're going to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, we, we all want to do that. But that impact you can have uh, in that person's life, that, that's going to tell the story in the long run. That's awesome. That's a, I mean, that's an encouragement just as me, too, as a dad. You know, just a, the opportunity Absolutely. to have my own boys, you know, that yeah. – you get so busy in the busyness of life and even career, you know, that my identity is not what I do. Um, but it's yeah. so easy to get caught up in um, success and career um, yeah. and all that stuff. You know, we're seeing right now as we're going through this pandemic thing, that stuff's fading. I mean, that, that stuff fades quickly. God can take all of that away instantly. And he's done that. I think that's one of the things he's trying to show us in this, you know, you think that career is so important. You think that job is so important. We think the NBA Finals is so important and mm. the uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game. I can stop that just like that. And and he has. And, and that's what we've got to understand. Okay, Lord, we can serve you in this. And we can do this. And we can use this for your good. And if we don't, you, you can take it away anytime you feel like it. That's right. Amen. That's good. So I want to close it out with uh, two... Two, two more questions. One, I um, always love this one because it, it speaks to me a lot. Um, I like to ask people if they have a favorite, like a life verse, or, you know, is there one that maybe God has shown you in your life recently that you would share? I have two favorite verses that I always talk about with my teams and with athletics. Um, the first one uh, was one of the first Bible study lessons we did when I was with the Steelers. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. And Paul says, don't you know, in a race, everyone runs, but only one person r- wins. So run to win. And that was unique. When I got to the Steelers, that was unique because so often as young Christians, we hear, oh, it doesn't matter to God. Just do the best you can and all that. And, and that is true. But here was Paul saying, no, as Christians, we're supposed to run to win. We're supposed to give it our best. We're supposed to shoot for that number one because that's what God expects. Now, of course, then he goes on in the next verse and says, don't just do it on the field for that prize that's going to fade away quickly, but do it spiritually so that you're running the right race to win. Uh, But that's the one side of the coin, run to win because God expects us to be excellent. Then my mom's favorite verse that she always gave me was Matthew 16, 26. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? And in 31 years in the National Football League, I saw that happen many, many times. Guys get every accolade you could get, Super Bowl rings, money, prestige, notoriety, but they forfeit their soul and they end up in a very, very bad place. So those two, to me, athletes, have to balance those two verses. Run to win, be the best that you can be, work at it, 
but understand the spiritual is so much more important. And what would it profit you to run to win physically, but not run to win spiritually? That's good. I like that. How those two actually tie together. Um, I always like to ask that because I take notes through all these and, um, we've been very fortunate to record over a hundred. So I'll go back and read over the notes. And I love the the scripture one because there's so many, um, you know, there are guys, you did the Philippians 4.13, Jeremiah 29, yeah. 11, but there's so many, I'll go back and, you know, and reflect on those and God's just use that. Um, no, really it, encourage it, it me definitely personally. helps you. I have signed pretty much every autograph that I signed with Matthew 16, 26. And uh, a lady just recently um, I saw her again after a number of years and she said, you know, you signed this Matthew 16, 26. I had my son read it. He didn't know what it was. He looked it up and he accepted Christ or, or he, you know, he came to read the Bible and understand what that meant because of that verse. And so, you know, that's always stood out to me. If I, if I can do one autograph and make one person kind of look this up, then it's worth it. Wow. That's powerful. Let's close it out with those two words in sports um, that I don't know. We don't have to explain them all in, but it's also all in the, in, in, in the gospels. Jesus talks about, if you're going to follow me, basically you got to be all in and deny yourself, pick up your cross. So I like to ask people, what does that look like on a daily basis for you, coach Dungy to be yeah. all in with Christ? That, that's a great word. I, I love that too, because we, as coaches, you always talk about that with your players. We've got to have everybody, and you've got to be in 100%. You, you can't be in on just what you feel like being in. If we're going to be successful, you've got to be all in. And I, I think that's what God is saying to us, too. you got to follow me, and you got to be 100% behind what I'm going to do. And uh, that's not easy to do because as, as human beings, we want to make sure we're taken care of. And we want to make sure it's us first. And he said, no, it can't be that way. No matter what I tell you to do, uh, you've got to follow my rules all the way. And you've got to follow everything. So when I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you can't say, well, I don't like that part. I'll do everything Mm. else but that, you know. Or when he says, um, you know, if you're going to be the leader, you have to serve. Mm. Uh, well, I don't like that. I, you know, I, I'm not going to be in on that part of it, but on, on everything else I will be. And he says, no, you, you got to be in on it all. And that to me is what it means. So I'm Lord, I'm with you no matter what happens. I'm with you when we get fired the same way I was with you when we won the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm with you when you say, love your enemies. Uh, I, I, I've got to be in in on everything. And that's the way I'm going to prove if I'm all in or not. And God is going to use those difficult times uh, to, to know who's in. I know that's, I, I remember back to my first team in Tampa and we we're all excited and new coach, new system. And after nine games, we we're one and eight. And that's when I knew who was still on board and, and who was in. And many of those same guys from, one win and eight losses, they were the guys who got us to the playoffs the following year because they were in. They were in no matter what. And when it didn't look good, they were still behind us. And that that's what we need. That's a good reminder, whether in athletics or not, that it's easy for us to thank God when 
things are going very yeah. well, you know, but you talked about it, like in your case, if you lose your job, you know, am I going to still glorify God in that? Amen. Um, Amen. And that's, it's not easy when things, when things are tough, you know, I think at least, especially for men, you know, we want to control. Um, so that's a, that's a good yeah. reminder. Um, and again, it goes back to what we're going through now as a, as a culture now with the, yeah. you know, with the pandemic thing that, um, you know, now is more than ever. We need to be loving our enemies, praying for everybody, um, and just seeking God every day because um, it's His plan. Yeah, Amen, Amen. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, being willing to jump on here, and um, I know encourage me and encourage many others. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's great. It's kind of crazy how this all came about, but I appreciate you guys' ministry and. Uh, working with coaches, and, uh, you know, that's my heart. So thank you. You bet. Well, thank you again to Coach Tony Dungy for taking time to share his heart, his heart for Jesus, his heart for encouraging others in their faith. I mean, yes, we talked about his career. We talked about sports, but over everything, um, just his his humility and talking about if you if you live it out, if you live out your faith, if you live out boldly for Jesus, people are going to respect you. Um, they'd rather see the way you live than, than, than to hear it. So I would encourage you wherever you are. Um, yes, we need to use words to share the gospel. Yes, we need to use words to talk about Jesus. But before that, we need to live it. Because when we will live it, we earn the respect. We earn that opportunity then to talk about it. You know, his two books, if you haven't read Quiet Strength and Uncommon, um, I would encourage you to do it because just both have impacted me personally and, and, and I believe will do the same for you. Um, just there, There's just a lot in there about um, leading from humility and biblical principles of leadership. So I would encourage you to do that. Um, his two verses, I go look up 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Matthew 16, 26, both incredible verses and I believe um, can impact Everyone that's listening, whether you're in athletics or not, it's easy to cut corners. It's easy to to make some um, bad decisions to get ahead for the world's view of success. But Matthew um, 16, 26 reminds us there's no value in that. So we need to remind remind ourselves to always be grounded in our relationship with Jesus. You know, talking about the last part of our conversation about being all in with Christ. I mean, just following him 100%. Waking up every day saying, Lord, I'm with you whether it's in, in a lot of success or um, a lot of loss, wins and losses, jobs, no jobs, no matter what the circumstance, Lord, I am with you. Just an incredible reminder that I think each one of us can take something away. I would ask you to share this episode with somebody. There's so much in it. I know it, there's somebody in your life that needs some encouragement. So just, just click the share button. I'd also ask you if you're not a regular listener to this podcast to click the subscribe button. We'd be honored to have you as a regular listener. There's over 120 previous episodes and there's a lot more coming. I'm so excited about what God's doing through this. And um, so thank you um, for listening and thank you for, for subscribing. I'd ask you to go to our website, allinsportsoutreach.org, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just type in All In Sports Outreach and interact with us. Send us a message. We'd love to hear from people. You can also find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to, to pray for us, to serve, to give. Just there's a lot going on. 
The last thing I want to say is thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your support. But most of all, thank you for your prayers.